Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. You are wonderful. Thank you. I've worked hard to come, sir. I admitted you are better than I am. The boy is mine. Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not offended. I know something you don't know, I know something you don't know, uh, it's Dave AC in the chair and uh, Ian is not here, he's not here on audio, he's not with us, although he may make an appearance uh, by the virtue of uh, having a chat with him last night, recording some audio, he's not because he's disloyal, it's because he is loyal, he's uh, looking after family matters, um, but uh, he will make his contribution noticeable no doubt during the course of the show uh although i for once can control him yes i know where ian's off button switch is at the moment but before that let's uh, welcome the members of the Colton collective in today's call i hope you're having uh the happy fourth of july weekend just getting a little bit of noise coming there from california but we'll um we'll not mute anybody just at the moment because we want to introduce them. So let me go down the list as they appear in my room. And no, there's no rest for the wicked man because Ian's not here. I'll go straight to Darth first. Hiya, Darth. Hello, how are you? Fine indeed, and welcome to today's call. Uh, we'll be hopefully coming back for you uh, with for some news in a moment. Uh, next is Kobo, California. And uh, hi, Kobo. Hey Dave, and this is the only time that Ian will have an off-switch, like, ever, so take take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, well, we can always ask Megan to fit fit one on the back of his head, you know. Yeah. Um, he has one on the front of his head sometimes, it's called a bottle of wine, that stops him talking. Um, and uh, let's go to uh, South California, which is an actual, indeed, our good friend, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Dave. Happy Independence Day holiday and happy tennis holiday. Ah, yeah. It's been a marvelous day of tennis today. And um, incognito in the room. I won't say the name on the air because it doesn't belong to him. He's borrowed it for just today. Uh, and that is our friend Rick Wall. Hi, Rick Wall. Hello, hello. Nice to see you here. Uh but we soon unmask you. Uh, but nevertheless, like that swordsman that you heard at the beginning, uh, that mask can't disguise who you are. Um, and that, would you believe, is all the people we have on audio. So, let's go to the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To access 
activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? Okay, well, we uh, uh, will be going in a moment to uh, just name those people. Uh, we've got, oh, Mike, you were on audio a minute ago, weren't you? But there you are, you slippery demon. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Randall Thor, Logan, Cybob, um, guest 8, 9, and 10 under the cone. So without further ado, let's go to our uh, typing monkey. Go, Tiding Monkey, go. go! Indeed, indeed, yes, it's news time. And uh, Logan has put in text that he has a piece of news, and uh, I'll mention that because I know he sometimes has to drop off fairly quickly, and that is just to say that his, uh, his Coast Coast Media Outsiders, usually it goes out at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time here on the Torchview, uh, will not be performing tonight. Uh, so... Um, if you're a big fan of that show and regularly make it, and you can uh, uh, normally go there and chat with Squidlord and all the other group, there will be no uh, media outsiders tonight. Thank you for that news, Logan. So we can't be accused of copying his topic tonight. That's good news indeed, isn't it? Uh, we have two people in the room with news. Uh, let's go to Darth first, please. Um, well, a couple of pieces of news, I suppose, uh, this week, as we've talked about for a few weeks, the uh, upcoming Doctor Who World Tour has made a little bit of news this week in that uh, we have a confirmed sort of um, theatrical premiere for um, Deep Breath, the, uh, the first episode of the new series. And that is going to be, I suppose, at the very start of the thing on uh, the 7th of August. Um, so I suppose this kind of makes up a little bit for the fact that, what, the um, the British were angry that Americans got the first glimpse at the, the 50th anniversary, uh, whereas this time the British are going to get the um, first exhibition of the new series, uh, which is only fair since it's, you know, made in Britain. And it's even doubly fair because this is the first time that Wales will have the honor. I think it's the first time that Wales has the honor of um, debuting an episode of Doctor Who. I'm pretty sure that that is a record, but I could be wrong about that. Because uh, I'm pretty sure that in in times past, the, the show has been um, unveiled at a press release in London. But this time around, the press release will initially be in Cardiff, and then it will go to London. Um, so that's good news. And then in sort of sad American news, uh, Bob Hastings died this um, holiday weekend. Well, well, I, it was actually more last week, late last week. Um, or sorry, early last week. And Bob Hastings, if you don't know him, uh, just an incredible... Um, career in character acting in America. One of his earliest roles is on, you know, what is purported to be, and largely, this is not, uh, because of the nature of American, early American television, we don't know this for absolute sure, but nevertheless, he was in 
Captain Video and his Video Rangers, which is usually advanced as the first science fiction um, series on American television. I'm not quite sure about that because of the nature of the Dumont Network and how virtually nothing of the Dumont Network is actually left. So at this point, we're going on a lot of hearsay usually. But still, that was one of his first things. Um, he's mostly known, I suppose, for um, McHale's Navy, but I don't even think that that is truly where most people know him from today. Um, he is really known, I suppose, by the bulk of people alive today as the voice of Jim Gordon on Batman the Animated Series. So throughout that entire Timverse um, exploration of the Batman character, he is the um, James Gordon, uh, and, and pretty much the first serious exploration of the Jim Gordon character. He was also on um, the original Batman as well, uh, by which I mean the 1966 Adam West Batman. Um, so that's an interesting little thing that he has as a distinction on his career. He was also uh, on American radio back when there was such a thing as American dramatic radio. Uh, he was the original voice of Archie, as in Archie Comics, um, you know, Jughead and all that. Um, and he was also the original voice of Superboy in uh, those Fleischman, not not Fleischman cartoons, the... Um, Filmation. Oh, Filmation, yeah, that eventually turns into um, the like Super Friends and stuff. Um, so quite a big connection with DC Comics and indeed with, well, I guess RT Comics. I guess they're independent still. Um, and uh, just tons of other stuff, too. You it, Seriously... If you're talking about a television show from 1960 to about 1990 that was on in prime time, he probably made an appearance. <laughs> uh, if, if you're, there's almost no show that you could possibly be a fan of that he didn't show up in. At least I think one. he even showed up in a couple of Night Riders, the early Night. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, that's probably true. I know. I know he was in things like Green Acres and. Emergency and Quincy and you know just name a show and and probably he will have been in it uh, between you know well actually pretty much between forty nine and and about ninety or something like that but certainly between sixty and and ninety you would have found him in just about everything so one of America's greatest finest most prolific uh, character actors dead this last week. Yeah, I put a link in the room uh, while you were talking from the nerdist.com about it. Um, yeah. 89. Is that all your news then for now, Darth? I think that's all I have, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for that contribution, sad though it was. Uh, Ken? Yes, there's a new series on HBO premiered last week called The Leftovers, which is about 2% of the world's population just mysteriously disappears one day. And it's the um, emotional subtext and uh, fault lines that happen after this uh, event in the world. And two of the main characters on the show are of note. I played by Christopher Eccleston, 
and Patterson Joseph. And the reviews have been mixed to excellent. And a lot of the reviews are saying that the third episode, which will be on next week, centers around Christopher Eccleston's priest character. And um, it's supposed to be brilliant. He's getting very, very good reviews for this. So it comes highly recommended for those two gentlemen. And to to check out, it's um, by Damon Lindelof, who is either loved or hated very much by fans for um, working on his ending of Lost and also the reboot of the Star Trek universe. And that's just that bit of news. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Well, um, the other sort of news is, um, and it might be spoiler if you are not wanting to know anything about Doctor Who before uh, the new series airs, but um, the BBC have broadcast a new uh, 20-second trailer. Oh, yes, they're really stringing it out, aren't they? Milking it for all it's got. Um, And there is, uh, and Mike pointed this out before he dropped off, uh, there was a little bit of uh, audio on the previous trailer that was 16 seconds long but now we have this 20 second long which does have um a little bit more dialogue in it so um uh, what i thought we'd do is um uh, play the audio from that and then um discuss it a little bit before we go on to our main topic um which is um, movies you didn't expect to like that's in this episode 23 uh, 263 on the 6th of july at 2014. So uh, let me play the, well, actually, 19 and a half second uh, trailer audio. I see it in your soul, Doctor. I see you feel divinity. Hatred! Uh, the previous uh, trailer, by the way, was subtitled, Am I a Good Man? Uh, this one is subtitled, I See Into Your Soul, Doctor. So, um, Ken, do you want to um, give any thoughts on, on, on this and who you think that voice was? Yes. Um, very, uh, it's adding to the, the same clip, um, adding different, um, darker elements to it. The... Um, X-ray view of his heart and the overvoice, which um, could that be Davros speaking? That's what I thought. That's what yeah, I thought. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. So we're we're already getting an overarching, either villainous theme or replaying a theme from an earlier an earlier series about about measuring the soul of the Doctor. And his children of time, which uh, Davros was condemning him for, you know, earlier on back with uh, the David Tennant, uh, the Tenth Doctor series, and the whole look of it and attitude is is right away speaking kind of a different sea change of melancholy and a darkness to it, which is like okay, we're we're not getting uh, Matt Smith now, we're going to be getting a totally different attitude of doctor and i might add that the the ads for the um first issues of the 12th doctor comic have come out 
and they're stressing it as he's edgy. He's not like uh, any doctor you've seen before, and and they're, this is doing more of the same. Without saying anything about what's going to be happening in the season, they're just stressing the kind of very almost street-level attitude. Yeah, yeah the change of we, mood. Yeah, but we all know that uh, uh, Moffat lies. Oh, it has nothing, yeah. nothing to do with Moffat. We're talking about a PR... Moffat might lie about exact plot points or things that are going to happen, but this is this is stressing an attitude of of emotion and the attitude of how the doctor's persona is going to be. Yeah, but where does it come from? The main man, the producer. Oh, but no, but it's coming from the whole staff, and you're you're not going to. And and this comes from, and I'll give the nod to you, someone in production for all these years. You're not going to have a collaborative effort of media advertising covers of comic books and everything as if there's somebody lying. They're not going to be wasting their time on that and, and just throw a, throw a bone to people and go, well, he's going to be all giggly and whatever, and we're, we're coming off with him have this, this edge to him. That's all we'll I'm see. saying. Yeah, uh, but you make a good point when you also say that that um, um, we, we, we are discussing this trailer. We're not discussing any yeah. spoilers that anybody knows over and above this. Okay, um, Rigwall, do you want to add any of your own thoughts to that trailer? I Is haven't it? seen it till now. Uh, looks interesting. Uh, are you guys sure that voiceover isn't David Warner? I hadn't thought of that, but uh, the point is, my implication was not thinking of the actor, but, oh, you, you're just uh, teasing Como, sorry. Um, right, okay. It's always David uh, Warner. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, well, but, uh, no, um, um, it looks interesting, and maybe they're hinting about what the first episode is going to contain. Right. All right. Well, that sounds uh, teaserish. Let's go to Kobo. Kobo, uh, I don't know if you've just heard the audio I played. I would have had a chance to watch it uh, without I've, being spoilerish on anything else. Any thoughts? I've watched it. I've heard it again, and that's definitely Davros. That's exciting in a lot of ways. And I think... You are right, Dave. It does harken back to his children of time. And I wonder if Clara will pick up on that Ross immediately, having been through all the doctor's lives. She had to have met that Ross at least once before. Uh yeah, it depends on how much of that she remembers, of course, but um, I'm not entirely sure uh, how much of that she does remember at this point. I, when did she meet Davros? No, she's talking about all the splintered Claras through uh, the Doctor's life oh, and all right, those episodes. Right, right. Okay. That's an interesting point, Dave, but she did remember... We do know certain things can jog 
her splendid memory, and I'm sure audio would be one of those cues. All right. So that's what I'm most interested in in a non-spoiler affected context. Okay. Uh, right. Well, let's let's. Um, oh, uh, if let me just unmute uh, Mike because um, I'll always put something in text. He's back on audio to talk about this. So if you, I just hold off a moment, Darth. Let me go to Mike. Mike, your thoughts on this without being spoilerish? Yeah, without being spoilerish. Uh, when I saw this trailer and heard the voiceover, of course, my first thought, given the the uh, the very the way the last bit sounds there's a change in audio and it sounds it sounds like a dalek which implies that the first half is davros but even outside of that when i first heard this my first reaction was oh wait are we finally going to figure out who who that silence will fall voice from the pandorica opens the big bang was that that one scene with river and the tardis the the, the scanner screen cracked and we heard that that voice silence will fall sounded similar to this, it was different. It was a different pitch, with the uh, silence will fall voice, but uh, it reminded me of that. We've had some chatter going on with Ch- and here in the chat. Your guest nine has suggested no, it's Adam, which uh, uh, I remember back in ser- series one, series two. There was there was that joke going on in fan forums that uh, Adam became becomes Davros at some point. <laughs> so, so if it's Davros, yes, it's Adam. And uh, let, let's just remind some of our listeners occasional listeners um that's because of course he had the um the the little thing planted in his forehead didn't he from yeah the long game uh, i can't remember the long game that's the episode yeah so that that's where that sort of rumor came from and of course we've seen in various stories since where we've had these sort of these people robotized or whatever or dalekatized or with, with the things coming out of the forehead so yeah. Okay. Uh, is that all you want to, co- to contribute at the, this moment? And we'll go to Darth. Uh, uh, just to say that both of these trailers together are, you know, giving us. It, it, going from the time of the Doctor, we have this reset of reason. Well, I, I say reset, but the Doctor has a new cycle of regenerations, and it's this whole idea of is the Doctor going to be the same sort of character, or is this new set of regenerations going to give him new characteristics? Of course. The new incarnation of the Doctor, we get new elements of his persona every time, but uh, we don't know really. It's, it's they're they're playing on this uncertainty that we have with this new set of regenerations, and more to the point, this new a new actor coming into the role. What kind of Doctor? What kind of act character will he play? What kind of persona will Peter Capaldi bring? It's they're playing on the mystery, and it's it's working. It's I'm intrigued. Okay, I'm looking at the, the the still frame of the video. Can't tell if he has got a new kidney at all, but I think he he's mentioned that in the past. Um, <laughs> let's go to Darth, who I think managed to talk about 16 minutes on the 16 minute second uh, video. So, um, what are your thoughts? Can you glean anything from this, Darth? I'm surprised they've given away as much as they've given away. Um, the, the narrative point that I see immediately in this thing is that it continues directly on from the uh, the teaser of um, or the pre-title sequence of the time of the Doctor. In that apparently he has indeed installed a phone 
into the console, so he's not having to go outside the TARDIS just to talk on the phone anymore. I find I'm surprised they gave that away, kind of, because that's um, the the general way that these little trailer teasers have worked in the past is not to give away really anything, but that gives away a little something. I'm also intrigued by the, um, the fire metaphor, the, the explosion in the TARDIS. What what is the point? Is it just visual flair? Or is there something coming that's going to be destructive of the TARDIS generally? Um, well, we I, know the end of not this run, the TARDIS was going to hang in a handbasket. So, could this all be percentage stuff? So you think this 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 whole whole sequence directly follows the very last episode with with the you know the TARDIS in distress? I'm saying that's one possibility. Right. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm not terribly convinced of that because there's nothing in the last episode that suggests anything more than a bumpy landing. I mean, there are no flames or anything like that at the end of the last episode. So, I, I mean, I guess it's possible that something has happened, but I, it's, it's not directly suggested by the end of the last episode that the TARDIS would be, that the entire console would be in flames. Yeah, and they've done that to us before, haven't they? I remember watching one uh, picture where it looked as though the TARDIS was on flames. In actual fact, it was a, a little bit of a spoiler from after the Vincent and the Doctor, and all it was was the posters that were stuck to the outside of the TARDIS yeah. got burnt off in travelling. Yeah. Um, wasn't wasn't uh, it on fire a little bit on uh, the uh, salvage uh, journey to the centre of the TARDIS? Maybe, yeah, yeah, it probably, yeah, it probably was actually. Now that you mentioned that, um, but it's I, an old type party. What do you expect? <laughs> I, um, I, I'm a little surprised that they have uh, focused on the Daleks here. Kind of, um, that seems a little too on the nose, maybe for a teaser trailer. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, what the what what's interesting if you just turn off the sound, really, and well, or or not turn it off because you'd need the sound to see that there were Daleks in it. But um, if you just sort of absorb the trailer in a sort of minimalist way, the thing that you get out of it is, um, you know, it's just a refresher. This is what the TARDIS interior is. This is who the Doctor is. The Doctor has two hearts. Um, the um, Daleks are coming uh, so you're you're just sort of refreshing the, the minds of the public on the very basic elements of Doctor Who TARDIS two hearts Daleks you know and, that, and in that sense it's probably doing what it needs to do and, and you know we'll probably forget uh, you know by the time these ep- whatever episode this is if it's referring to anything um, we'll, we'll probably forget that there were flames in the TARDIS when, in fact, there aren't in the episode that comes up. Um, it's it's an interesting thing, and I think one of the things that's most interesting about it is the absence of Clara. I think this is the only teaser made that I can think of. 
that has the doctor but not the companion, which is interesting. Um, even when, um, like, Tennant was the new guy, you still had uh, Billy Piper definitely in those teaser trailers. Um, and certainly when, you know, Matt Smith was new, you had definitely, there, there was Amy, she was in it. Um, so it's weird that she's not in this one at all, especially after having been really the prominent part of the former uh, trailer. You'd almost expect there to be now, uh, just for even-handedness sake, you'd almost expect that the next teaser that comes out is going to be Clara alone, um, which would be cool if there was something that mirrored this one. But it's 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 fascinating that really all this trailer does is to reorient us to the essentials of what Doctor Who is, really. But it's also okay. a little indistinct, you know, because the the real question here is, are we hearing Davros? Are you, are you hearing the transition from the Davros voice at the beginning to the the Dalek voice at the end? And I think one of the reasons that is a little bit unclear is probably because they're not using Julian Bleach, that maybe what's happening here is you're, you're just getting you know, to cut down on cost or whatever. You're just getting Nick Briggs to kind of do all of the voices that are here, doing them in separate layers, and therefore uh, you're getting different um, uh, interpretations of the Dalek voice, one of which sounds somewhat close to Davros, which is to be expected since the voices, you know, narratively come from Davros, really. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced that exactly what we're hearing. I'm not even necessarily convinced because I haven't been following spoilers that carefully. I don't even, I, I don't even know that there are Daleks in the next step. It could just be a really general teaser. And yeah, we don't, like, uh, we don't want to announce it. We don't want to announce it to that by anybody here. Right, I, I don't know. But I'm just saying it's... No, I mean, if uh, anybody in the room knows that, we don't, no, I don't want to chirp up well, and confirm it. I well, know. And, and Darth, all I said was it might make right. an appearance. I didn't say that it would. Okay. I didn't say that you said that. I'm just saying uh, it, it's one of one of the things that is definitely possible here is that you're just sort of getting a very vague, very broad brush. Um, you know, this is kind of what Doctor Who is about. Alex is a reference to Doctor Who, not as specific of an episode. Kind of, yeah. It could be that. It certainly could divorce that. Because the whole thing kind of, I mean, if you look at the what the thing is telling you narratively, none of it really makes that much sense, according to stuff that we know before. I mean, it's, it is just a sort of, it's almost a, an experiment of how you can put things together. I mean, it didn't require Peter Capaldi at all. Uh, it didn't, I don't think, I don't even think it required him for the shot, because you don't ever see his face that clearly. So it's possible he's not even doing the body in it. Um, and uh, so it could just be, you know, the guys had some extra time in the graphics design department and let's put this thing together and see if we can't save some money and just get Nick Briggs. Nick Briggs could be the only talent in the whole thing. Um, you know, Darth, you, you have a point there. They might be trying to stretch the uh, meaning of teaser. I, I would find that fascinating i mean it's not it's not necessarily stretching the meaning it, because this is something that was done before in doctor who well I you mean, know what i meant stretching the i know concept. 
Right. No, and and certainly stretching the advertising budget could be a part of the deal here. Yeah. Um, and you know, and one other thing that's like really fascinating, just looking at this in terms of like production design and stuff like that, is um, something I think is really cool, and that is the interchangeability of the lights on the central column, um, and how radical that is, because that's not really been done before. Um, if you go back in time, basically whatever central column you have in the TARDIS. It does what it does, and that's all that it does, and you can't change any part of it. Whereas it does appear that one of the great things that Pickwood has done here with his design of this TARDIS is to make the interior um, sort of neon-y light, um, something that you can switch out so that it it's not just that the initial sort of cobalt blue that it was uh, when it was presented in the Snowman in, in 7B, but that, you know, you see here in this one, it's red. You saw on the first one that it could be orange. Um, some of that could be done with filters, I suppose. But, I I mean, there's no way you can get from blue to red with a filter. You've got to actually, you know, change the element inside to get a true red, which is interesting to me um, that it, it, this is adaptable. And I would love, again, as I said in the first trailer analysis, I would love for the this new TARDIS to be... L I mean, under Capaldi, that the, the TARDIS be um, lit in lots of different ways depending upon the mood in the same way that, you know, his very basic costume seems to admit of infinite changeability, really. Actually, Darth, that's a little, uh, maybe... Earlier, when we had analog cameras, uh, that might be true. But now with the digital camera, yes, uh, um, um, the uh, filter does work a lot better, whereas you don't have the red um, um, uh, tube anymore. But, I mean, could an element be a blue light that you could easily change over to red without doing some CGI work? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just while there's an actual pause, um, we we have somebody on the phone, but um, they were unknown, and I didn't want to uh, break the, the 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 conversation. Uh, but I'm assuming that they weren't actually in chat as a guest, whether that was guest nine or something. But um, uh, if they stayed longer, I would have uh, unmuted them. So if they're listening back to the recording later, um, anybody who comes into the call on audio but not in the room, they may not see that they are being acknowledged in text chat. Uh, and we do uh, allow people to talk, maybe not when they straight come in, because we have had the odd crasher, but we, we do uh, want new people to come into the call and we will unmute them at a suitable point in time. Yeah, um, so um, you seem fairly... Well, Last question to you then, Darth. I mean, do you think on the balance of probabilities, whoever's actor's voice it was, the actor was portraying Davros? Or do you think that's still unclear? Um, I think it's unclear. I really do. I mean, I think, I mean, I've tried to listen to it in as high definition audio as I can get out of the thing, and it, really is elusive to me that it necessarily is Davros. 
I think it's. I think it's much. Seems to me more likely that it is a version of the Emperor Dalek than uh, Davros, because Davros's voice, especially as portrayed by Wisher and Julian Bleach, has a little bit more humanity to it. But you know, I, I guess it could be Davros, but the, my initial gut reaction is it's probably the Emperor Dalek. And now I I might be hinted in that direction just because the script is talking about um, you know, sort of pseudo religious themes kind of, uh, and that immediately puts you in mind of the Emperor Dalek from um, the Ninth Doctor's era. Mm -hmm. There's just, so, there's just um, something, yeah, yeah. There's just something about the the quality if any part of that is diverse it would seem to me it's the first part not the last part the last part it seems to me fairly standard Dalek right unless they're going old I was saying unless they're going unless they're going old school you remember those old films Son of Zorro Son of the uh, Lone Ranger or whatever Son of Davros <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's make it a proper B movie. None of this A class stuff they've been giving us. <laughs> Sorry, well, I mean, just a joke. In a sense, all of the Daleks in you know Stolen Earth and Journeys in were son of. Oh yeah, uh, ripped from his you know, very chest. chest. Adam's yeah. rib, no less. Yeah. But it's interesting though that you sort of mentioned that and sort of put us in mind of uh, Journeys in, because you know the last shot we saw of Davros was in sort of fire and flame and, and, you know, refusing to be helped by the Tenth Doctor. Um, and, you know, if this is the voice of Davros, which is slightly obscured by what I, I think some of that pure is pure Dalek. It's got to be. Um, you know, but if it is Davros, it would make some sense for the visuals because maybe Davros comes back from, you know, those flames in some way. Or maybe we get a little flashback because... At this point, let's see, 2014, I, I think at this point we would need to have a flashback. Because that's six years ago, really. Um, I mean, who's to say so, that Ross doesn't buy me in a full casing? I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Well, there could be less of him. They certainly <laughs> could come back with less. But, we, I mean, we've had that in... Uh, was it was it was, was it um, Remembrance of the Daleks where yeah, we just had his head? His Dalek yeah. head, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Which again would be why that's not canon. But, you know, whatever. Okay, any uh, anybody else want to come back? Um uh, on I'm on... sure Jeff would disagree Jeff would disagree with you on whether Remembrance was canon or not. <laughs> Yeah. They might uh, send some uh, assassin after you. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, I think we'll we'll draw a line into that if we can. We've been going 38 minutes. Uh, about time uh, I've let Andy remind people how they can join us, such as our unknown chap on the phone, our lady on the phone. Uh, we will then hit our main topic. So here's how you can join the collective. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 
This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the SU phone client if you have TalkSue Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Okay then, well let's uh, get on with our topic. We have only got a small room on audio, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, today's topic may be a short one in this holiday weekend. So for episode 263, uh, uh, the strap line is movies you didn't expect to like, but that is really a simplified title for what is a rather uh, long-winded one, which is basically you know uh, films that you were reluctant to see uh, somebody who whose opinion you value uh, suggested to you that you did watch you know give it a go you know don't you know don't sh- uh, shrink away from it give it a go watch it and um, and see what you think about it you may well be surprised you may find that you really enjoyed it so to overcome your own uh, conceptions maybe misconceptions of that uh, and also. Um, Maybe you want to throw out a challenge to um, other people in the room. Now, the the genesis of this, talking about uh, Daleks, the genesis of this was um, Ian suggesting that um, when I'd mentioned that I'd never seen The Princess Bride during one of our conversations, that uh, you'd never seen that, incredulously, uh, was the tone of his voice. I said, well, it's kid's fairy tale, isn't it? It's, you know, Snow White or uh, something in of that elk. Uh, and he said, no, it's got a fantastic fight scene in it, part of which uh, played the uh, the start of that uh, um, call, our intro. And um, also it turned out that uh, I said, well, all right, I will watch it, but you'll have to watch Avatar, which he'd resisted because he'd compared it to Ferngully and didn't see why it would be uh, worth watching. It was also uh, set against it somewhat because he doesn't really like um, oh, good remark, guest nine. Inconceivable. Yeah, I, yeah. I now know where that that quote comes from. You see, guest nine, and um, uh, of course it was mainly Avatar in 3D, so that didn't dispose him well to see in the movie anyway. Uh, and I still haven't had his answer from Darth, so I've got great expectations that he also admitted that he was uh, didn't like Keanu Reeves in any movie. And for that reason alone, he'd never seen The Matrix. But um, let's see if we can hear... uh, Ian's not with us, but he did say and did chat with me. So um, let's hear a bit of an intro clip from Ian and myself. Hello, everybody in Coltham land. Coltham land, indeed. (laughs) It's Ian here, the Sixth Doctor. Um, Unfortunately, I can't be with you today. I'm busy taking care of my wife. Yes, waiting on her hand and foot. If only if it was a foot that was a problem. But anyway, um, today promises to be a great show from what I've been told uh, by Dave, because I'm not going to be there. So you've been warned. Very true. Very true. Take it away, Dave. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, we're going to miss Ian, but uh, he'll be sticking his oar in every now and again. But luckily, I have control over when that happens. Oi! (laughs) So there you are. So, um... Uh, before let's go, just go around the room and see. And um, Darth has just put in text something for you, Kobo. I hope you're in the room to read that. Um, let's go to Ken first. Um, 
you can reference any of those three movies if you want The Princess Bride, uh, Matrix, um, or Avatar. But um, have you any experience yourself of either being the one suggested to or suggesting to somebody else a movie that they then went on to watch and uh, and you may be even able to recommend it to well, us? Well, I, I thought of these, and I remember when Heaven's Gate came out and looking very much forward to this film and then the reviews hit and the movie got butchered and it was like the great film to loathe it was the film that you know destroyed Columbia and that uh, um, destroyed uh, Michael Cimino's career as a director um, you know and you know had great trepidation about it. Then there was a wonderful local cable channel in the Los Angeles area called Z Channel back in the day. And they had a restored copy of Heaven's Gate and they were going to be showing it. I was told to watch this. And it's a brilliant film. And I, I love it, and I would never really given it a chance had someone who had not had seen it, you know, on that restored version on the channel, not said to me, you know, go ahead, you know, and take a look at this film, because it had such bad press, and it was it was it was a film that was like unanimously loathed. Of course, it was loathed. It was in a butchered version uh, when it when it when it came out, but. That's one that comes to mind. Um, another couple brief ones. Um, Exorcist 3. You know, after the debacle that was Exorcist 2, um, which is a ridiculously uh, bad film by John Borman, who did the, who actually does great, great films. I mean, Excalibur and Point Blank. You know, um, he was a wonderful filmmaker. And... The very quirky Zardoz, which I happen to really like a lot. Um, Exorcist 2 was just horrible. Exorcist 3 was written and directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original book and worked on the screenplay for the original Exorcist. And it's almost like a film play. It, it's, it worth, it's worth it for Brad Dourif and George C. Scott's performances. And it's something I really, really, really recommend. And that's a film that that if if you would have told me, oh, go see this movie, had I not, uh, you know, heard some interesting things about it, um, I would have avoided it. You know, there's there's some others too, but let let me go back to you, Dave. Okay, right. Well, we'll go to uh, Rick Wall, and and then I'll unmute Kobo shortly after. Uh, so, Rick Wall. Um, in the same vein as as Ken, either suggested to you or you to them. Actually, uh, before you started uh, recording, I said that there has never been a, a movie that I've never wanted to go to willingly. Uh, I take that back. Um, Alien Resurrection or Alien 4, however you want to consider it, uh, I was not physically 
were literally dragged to, but a friend of mine wanted to see it, and after the uh, disaster that Alien 3 was, at least to me, uh, I was kind of reluctant to see it. Uh, I said, yeah, I like um, uh, his directing. I love the um, City of the Lost Children, but Look at what happened to three. And my friend goes, come on, let's go see it anyway. So I reluctantly went and uh, actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's about the uh, the only movie that I really you know, remember having ever any... Although, if you want to say, uh, I did go see the rebuilt boot of uh, Star Trek, uh, wanting to hate it, and coming out liking it, sort of. Uh, now, now why, why were you going in thinking you would hate it? Because uh, what you read about it? What I read, what I heard, you know, I wasn't, I never heard of most of the cast. Um... As much as I like Abrams, uh, you know, I was just, what's the point (laughs) kind of thing. But, um, you know, I I went in. Was it Star Trek? Maybe not, or at least not my track. But as a couple of people have mentioned, if it, didn't have the Star Trek name, would it still be a good movie? Yes, it would. Right. I mean, I must. I, I remember the first thing I heard about that film was, uh, I think it was that Zachary Quinto was going to be in it playing Spock, and I, I just thought he was marvellous as uh, Styler, as it Styler in Heroes. I thought he was brilliant in that. So I was so, and that was before I heard that Benedict Cumberbatch was going to be in it and. Uh, oh, actually, that, that was the second film Cumberbatch was in, wasn't it? But um, uh, obviously, Zachary Quinto was in the first one, and um, and obviously the Chris Pine and, and other actors later. So oh yeah, well, I, I heard had, Chris uh, Pine, but uh, some of the other people were like who? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, we'll 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 we'll, we'll no doubt come round the room to you. Let me just unmute Kobo, and then after Kobo, we'll go to Darth. Hi, Kobo. Hope your audio is okay now. I wasn't sure about explorers with um, you know that kid movie with um. Hang on, I'm gonna cast list here. Um, Ethan Hawke, River Phoenix. You know, that's wonderful movie. But I was literally forced into watching it. What was the name of the movie? I missed the name of the movie. I heard the actors. The the Explorers. The Explorers? Not even heard of it now. Yeah. Um, Quintessential kids 80s movie. With, like I said, mountain people like Ethan Hawke and River Phoenix. 
as kids. Right, now Rever like, Phoenix has been dead for some time, so this is a film that came out, what, a good 10 years ago? This was in the 80s when... Ah, right, right, right. He was a kid, so, yeah. Um, lovely movie, but I wasn't convinced by the start of it. I was, I was literally outmoded. And, you know, my disability, <laughs> I can't exactly walk out of the freaking room when somebody... <laughs> yeah, sorry to laugh, but yeah, yeah. You, you stuck <laughs> no, with the duration, is, really, yeah. It is funny. It is funny, really. And so I really had no choice but to watch this movie, but I loved it. And it just comes to show... Don't you judge a book by its cover? You know what I mean? Right. Um. For those people who don't know what the Explorers is, it's very much in the same vein as the Goonies or something. It's not. Like, it's not like. It's not like Stand by Me. That uh, you know, with um, the the young guys in that. Is it? It's not like that one. No, it's yeah, with Wesley Crusher in and that. It's very much more Goonies esque, where they right. go on an adventure as opposed to uber serious, uber serious. Right. Yeah, it's not a life experience. It's actually an adventure. Uh, yeah. With some of the, I think Henson might have been involved with the aliens that they encounter. Although I can't confirm that. Right. But it looked like something Jim Henson may have had a, at least a hand in if he wasn't directly involved. This is where Ian would say something was it like Last Star, The Last Starfighter or something like that. I'm sure that's his sort of contribution would be at this point. <laughs> Um, according to IMDb, uh, the special effects people were IML. It just looks Henson-esque. I didn't say it was Henson. I just said it looked something like. Okay. But thank you for that, Rick. You're welcome. Um, but it's. A lovely movie. And um, I wasn't con- convinced I was going to like war games when I first saw it, but I heard a lot of people, and then one of my favorite books has this pivotal scene that revolves around the movie War Games, and I was rather reluctant to see that. And then, I don't need to tell you how awesome the movie War Games is. I'm sure every person in this room loves War Games. That's the one with the famous uh, Let's Play Thermonuclear War, is that the one? Let's Play a Game, yep. Yep. Do you want to play a game? Yeah. And another one that I was less than thrilled about was Lady Hawk. All right. But 
but again, genius flick. Um, you, not, you sound just like the man who needs to go and see Catwoman then. <laughs> no. <I> mean, <laughs> what do you think, Ken? Should we send him to go and see Catwoman? I wouldn't send it. <laughs> He's a dear friend. I would not do that to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is one of the most excruciatingly bad films. And it's not worth it just to look at Halle Berry. And it's nice to look at Halle Berry. God knows. <laughs> um, but that movie's not worth it. <laughs> it's, it, it's something you wouldn't give your worst enemy to, or you would. Huh? Unfortunately, you, Catwoman, you wouldn't send your worst enemy to, or you would. Well, that's fine. Unfortunately, that would have come. Well, yeah, you would. You unfortunately, would. Unfortunately, I have seen that piece of oh, garbage. Right. Oh, uh, I, by the way, let me interject on something. I did watch a movie on your behest, Kobo, and I got a bone to pick with you. What was it? R.I.P.D. Oh, it's bad. Um, I, I, I know you loved it. Um, I wanted to like it. It is, in my opinion, my humble opinion, a real. Somebody sat in a room and threw in parts of Ghostbusters and Men in Black and Beetlejuice in a Yahtzee cup and shook it all up and said, "Jeff Bridges, do you want a paycheck? Ryan Reynolds, do you want a paycheck?" What are you doing this weekend? <laughs> and that's the movie. Right now, this is the uh, now this is the the initials, isn't it? R I P D. Yeah, rest in police department. I think ah. that stands for. Um, I, I think the most atrocious thing is that really garbage special effects. But, but I tell you, yeah. it, it it's it's not as bad, and I know this is not the subject today of of movies I would have looked forward to, and I just thought they might have been okay and something that really turns out to be wretched. I watched it again on cable, trying to remember if it was bad as I remembered it being. Um, my Super Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, I remember that coming out. I never saw it. Yeah, yeah, with Uma Thurman. And I forgot, and may he rest in peace, Ivan Reitman directed this. I, I find the movie atrocious. But um, but Uma is nice to look at in it. <laughs> now, did somebody recommend that one to you? Uh, was that no, that's just one that... I saw when it came out, thinking, oh, it's a nice idea about maybe a relationship gone bad and she happens to be a superhero. I go, that sounds like a cute idea. And it it's so ham-handed. And it's just kind of just so mind-numbingly wretched that, that it was just like, oh God, you know, I got I got to get out of here with this. And I watched it again just to say, was this as bad as I remember it being? Yeah. Was R.I.P.D. just the special effects you can, or was no? I, I think Jeff Bridges is, is so phoning in a bad version of the way he is in True Grit. And my God, the, the Coen Brothers version of True Grit, and I don't want to knock it, makes me forget the John Wayne one in an instant. 
it's so good. It is such a good western. It's such a good movie, and I and I yeah. love and I love Jeff Bridges. I I just thought that R.I.P.D. was just like, like I said, it just seemed like ripped parts from these other films, and obviously so, with bad special effects, and it just reminded me in so much of like Men in Black, and Beetlejuice because they they happen to be dead. And Ghostbusters is thrown in there. It's like all these these amalgam of other films, you know, just thrown together. Okay. Uh, well, do, do you want to add anything more just at the moment, Cobb, and then we'll go to Darth um, and get his initial there, thoughts. Uh, there was one that, um, oh yeah, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh my god. Oh, Jackie god. Chan. That. No, no, um, this, this is um, Kurt Russell. Kurt, oh, Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell. Wonderful film. Wonderful film. I could not stand it. You hated it? Yes. Yeah. There, there you go. But there's your ball game. But yeah, I, didn't he do that? Didn't he do that film, Escape from New York? I quite like. If yeah, that's in a similar yeah. vein, I quite John, like. Yeah. John Carpenter, I think, was so ahead of his time with that. Snake that he, Eyes. Or something. He missed the curve. They live. Oh, great, great movie. Okay, well, just just hold on to that thought. Okay, let me just go to Darth sure. and just stay on Dalek for a moment, and then we'll we'll bring those in. But uh, yeah, those are films that I do like. Uh, so, Darth, uh, again, I've got the answer to the question. Did you overcome your reluctance and and see uh, the Matrix? Or do you want to talk about something else? Absolutely not. No way am I doing that. Especially, no offense, but not just for a podcast. I mean, there would have to be money involved. Um, oh, you have to see him for the money. See him for the money. He handles the money. Unfortunately, he's not yeah. here, so. Yeah, there you go. There you Here's go. the money, man. Uh, but, you know, one of the advantages and or disadvantages of having a brother who teaches film is that I'm always getting recommendations. And it's a little bit hazy to me sometimes whether I'm watching a film because uh, he recommended it to me or not. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the line between my free will and his uh, exactly is. So um, uh, let me just go through first and say, you know, some broad like uh, franchises that I came to late uh, only because of a recommendation. And the biggest one I can think of is, you know, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. I came into at film four uh, only because people finally convinced me that I really needed to see that. Um, and they were right. It was a four, I think is a good movie to start out on. If you don't know anything about the Harry Potter mythos, cause it's fairly contained. The, the storyline is pretty easy to understand and it whets your appetite for other things. Um, so that worked out. Okay. Um, Batman, I'm always having to be convinced upon because I just hate that character generally so much. Um, the, um, especially, I think it was really hard for me to think about paying the money to go see Batman Begins after Batman and Robin. Um, it was it was difficult. Um, I'm glad I did eventually. Wait, you know what? I, I don't even think I did in the movie theater. I'm pretty sure I didn't. I think I just got that on DVD, but it was still something I had to pay for, and I was it took some convincing. Um, in that same vein, X-Men, because I'm just not Marvel at all, and X-Men.
X-Men. I, I, I bear ill will towards X-Men because X-Men poached the writers back in the day of Legion of Superheroes. And um, I kind of can't forgive that because they did Legion of Superheroes better than DC did. And it just it bugs me that all of that energy was not put into Legion of Superheroes, which I find to be a better concept of the sort of angsty teen team. Uh, so that took me a while to get on board with. Um, and um, uh, surprisingly enough, and uh, you know, here the line between TV and, and film is blurry, um, but Star Trek, I was not having it. I was really not having it. Um, I, I still to this day view Star Wars as the superior um, franchise. In fact, Star Wars you know, is superior even, of course, to Doctor Who. So, I mean, whatever. It, Star Trek is quite, even though I know a lot about it, even though at this point I've absorbed a lot of details because it's a fairly simple series to retain information about, um, it, that doesn't mean I think it's the best thing ever because it's really usually not at all the best thing. Um, but that that took me a while to get into. And, and individual movies have taken me um, some convincing um, Nemesis, I'm pretty sure I never saw in the theater. Um, I never saw Generations in the theater. So, you know, it, individual things are, are, are difficult and problematic in that franchise. Though, you know, the, the current regime, I'm, I'm happy to say, I am very much enjoying. So that has taken no uh, incentivizing on anyone's part. The things that I really remember being forced to see uh, were things like from high school, um, things I would probably never have seen were it not for teachers who were into literary adaptation or adaptations of great literature. So I Greg would Sorrell. never have seen, That's exactly <laughs> one I was going to say. And, um, you know, it was great. That was my introduction to Henry Fonda. And then after that, I was recommended to... Kill a Mockingbird. Well, there's another one, but I mean, after Grapes of Wrath in the Henry Fonda range, I was recommended to see On Golden Pond, uh, which I would never have seen, oh, uh, really, right. without prompting, and it was fabulous. I, I would never have seen that, not so much for, uh, mainly for Jane Fonda, who I don't really like all that much um, for her. The only time she worked with her father, wasn't it? The only one she worked uh, with her father. I guess. I'm not really... Yeah, it's just know, last film I'm not a Jane died. Fonda fan, so I don't know, but... Um, uh, yeah, so that sort of thing, that sort of literary adaption. Uh, another great one is, uh, oh, what is the name of it? Um, Thomas Beckett. What is it? What is it? The um... Beckett. 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 It's just called Beckett, right? Yeah. yeah. That. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it's incredible. Like Peter O'Toole and Burton. And, and Burton, yeah, just incredible to see in, and and you know, we were you know in school and getting to watch these movies because we happen to have a fairly forward-thinking teacher who was able to relate film to um, to, to books. And I, I'm sure that we saw um, Olivier Hamlet, uh, and that was great, too. I, I probably would have gotten around to see that because I, from a young age, I did like Shakespeare. So I would have probably on my own gotten to see that, but nevertheless, that was recommended and and indeed forced upon us in class. So I was like, all right, well, here I am. <laughs> oh, and, and, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my Lord. Was that fabulous to see in high school? I don't think you could do that these days in American high schools. I think it might be too, you know, good. 
Well, I'll we're, tell we're, you <laughs> this, Ratchet. Yeah, I mean, just we're, great stuff. Oh, and and also I should say, back to franchise stuff, uh, Lord of the Rings. I didn't come into that until Return of the King. Because um, I'm just not interested in Tolkien. I'm sorry, I cut you off there, Dave. Yeah, I'm sorry, I was going to say, which was the film with Atticus, the, the character Atticus Finch? Is the Killer Mockingbird. Killer Mockingbird, right, 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 yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, some other things that, let's see, some things that my brother forced upon me, it's sort of a mixed bag because we have different tastes. Um, so, Vertigo and Psycho forced me to watch those. Both of them I really don't like. But he forced me to also watch Rope and um, hey. no- North by Northwest, which I loved. Right. So I'm sort of split on major Hitchcocky and thing. I think I, I can't remember what my opinion is on the birds because I don't really remember it that well. Ever but, seen um, Torn Curtain? I I have seen it, yeah, but I it didn't make that. Was, aren't there two versions of Torn Curtain? Aren't there the one he did in Britain early in his career, and then the one he made in America? The one with the Newman, yeah, Man Who Knew Too yeah, Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, some if, if he teaches films, surely he wanted you to watch Rear Window as well because the the whole claustrophobic nature of that, the way that uh, you know, is immobilized with his broken leg. Yeah, James I, Stewart, I think Rear Window. Uh, rear Window. Well, see, the problem. I, rear Window is like the most palatable of the James Stewart films in general. I really don't like James Stewart. That's the whole problem. Like that is what um, Miracle on whatever it is, Thirty Fourth Street. Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah. Yeah, yep. like that That was totally forced on me. My brother hate it, hate it, hate it. Also, in that same vein, A Christmas Story. I have only seen that within the last few years. Forced on me, hated it. Forced on me to see Pee-wee's Big Adventure, hated it. Um, good Lord, what else? Um, oh, forced on me to see Silence of the Lambs, hated it. Really hated it. Um other things that were uh, let me think that are for some oh well um, this not by my brother because he would never be so hip but um, Big Lebowski my uh, roommate Um, it is his favorite film he's got like this super duper package uh, DVD package of it Um, I don't know how many times I've seen that film every time I see it I laugh I think it's just fabulous great stuff there um, Raising Arizona, forced to see that by my brother. I love it, um, and that that uh, you know then forced me or then propelled me to see other things by the same directorial team. You know, so good stuff there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other stuff that really. Um, Matter of life I, and death, David Niven, Guns of Navarone, those sort of no, 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 okay. none of that crap. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, in terms of yeah, well, I mean, but in terms of being a, being forced to really see it, I mean, those are things that Citizen Kane. Oh yeah, I was forced to see Citizen Kane. That's for damn sure. And you know, I'm okay with it. I, I get its importance. I, but is it something? Twelve that Angry I Men. It own? must have said Twelve Angry Men. Your brother. Uh, yeah, it's not. That's not something that in, in it particularly affected me in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's a thing that I've seen. That you know, whatever. Um, oh, the third is it? The, no, the fourth Die Hard movie. 
he forced me to see, and I was like kind of done with Die Hard by the third one. But the fourth one actually turned out to be really good. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, and then I'm trying to, I know there's something else that is like really big. In my, oh, I know. Uh, Roman Holiday. Just absolutely stunned by how great Roman Holiday was. Just the Sam oh Polanski film. The uh, why don't I know off the top of my head? It's it's uh, Roman Holiday. No, 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 no. It's uh, William Wyler. William Wyler. Uh, All the way. It's just absolutely stunning film. Really. Uh, I mean, I went into that thinking, oh, this is not going to be that big a deal. It's just, you know, Audrey Hepburn, I was thinking kind of, you know, she was an it girl, so therefore, how great could this possibly be as a film? But as a, uh, it just, especially the last scene, the way the last scene is filmed, it's just drop dead gorgeous. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are lots of other things. Oh, oh, um, Something that I would a great thing, Bicycle Thief. Uh, that was forced on me too, and that I really liked. Uh, bicycle so, Thieves, yeah. Well, no, yeah. it's it is actually. No, the Bicycle the, Thief. Yeah, it's a different one, is it? No, 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 right. no. The correct. No, the thing is, for some the reason, French a lot one, of. Uh, well, no, it's an Italian film. Yeah. Italian. Sorry, sorry, my yeah, mistake. Yeah, and and then for some reason, in in. It is a, a, a mistranslated title uh, in a lot of places on English. I don't know why, but it is because it's such an easy thing to see. You can see it without even knowing the time. You can see, oh, it is the bicycle thief. So I don't know. But, I mean, it's great. Um, oh, I know another thing that's forced on me. Um, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Good Lord, was that forced on me. Hate it. Um, I do, however... Uh, uh, regard as an absolute stone cold classic life of Brian, but Holy Grail, man, do I just think it's stupid. Um, just, uh, life of Brian. What justification do you need? It's just stupid. It's, I mean, it is a complete non-entity as a film. It, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't try. There's no point to the satire. Whereas Life of Brian. It's not even satire. I think that's my main point with with um, um, Holy Grail is that it is just an extended sketch, more or less. Um, whereas Life of Brian is actually trying to say something, and oh my God, does it say it so brilliantly. Just the, the lines that are – every line in Life of Brian is a piece of gold that actually has some sort of meaning that you can take away with you, um, and it and forces you to reexamine um, – you know, Christian values, really. I mean, it does. It just, it makes you think, well, wait a minute, maybe there's something to this. Um, and it's just so funny, too, on top of it. Um, I, and I guess I have a soft spot for films that, you know, cause trouble, as well as films that, <laughs> you know, happen to be funny. Um, but, oh, and a Manchurian Candidate, I suppose, was something that was forced on me and yet turned out to be something that I really such a great film uh, yeah. the original I mean, yes well, there's only one film in my mind well, you know I'm not I, I don't hugely mind the Denzel Washington version but you know the, 
clearly Angela Lansbury at the top of her game. And, oh. you know, if all you know of her is Murder, She Wrote, then it's a, a film that you've got to kind of see, really. Um, but I think, you know, it's weird because some films, some films that are sort of, uh, I guess, art house films or, or you know, Oscar caliber films are things that I would go to willingly, like... Um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. That was not forced upon me. That was something I eagerly anticipated because it just seemed like it would be such a great idea. Or Life is Beautiful. That was something I totally uh, wanted to see. Schindler's List. Totally. I'm a sucker for any kind of film that is set during World War II that is not necessarily about the conflict itself, but it is about the the human drama associated with that. I'm in there. I don't care what it is. I'm going to see you know, a, a socially aware World War II film. Um, on the other hand, you know, if it's, it's about the war, like, you know, um, uh, well, Bridge of the Rear Kwai or something like that, not what, care. What, sorry, what about the, like, the Cold War, like, uh, even a classic like Notorious, where you've got uh, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman, and uh, she's a notorious philanderer, so they, they set her off to... Um, you know, spy on um, Claude Rains. Have you ever seen that? Uh, that's so good. Yeah, I mean, I am... Um... Spy who came in from the cold. Amazing film. So where does Tarantino's World War II like, fall in the spectrum for you, Doc? Uh, Is yeah, that no, a really interesting uh, Quentin Tarantino on war films. Oh, you mean like Glorious Bastards? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, anything Quentin Tarantino, that was not forced upon me. That was me stumbling one day into, um, I guess I didn't really know about him until Pulp Fiction. Um, Although I probably should have known about him before that. But whatever, that was was not at all forced on me. That was, oh, wow, this John Travolta's come back? How is this even possible? Kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, and so I went and saw that, and I was like, "That was pretty mind blowing." And so I, you know, walked that back. Um, and and you know, other things that I'm guaranteed to see without really being forced to, or you know, kind of any Disney film, just about any Disney film, I'll go and see more or less. Um, and uh, you know, Star Wars that didn't take any convincing. Obviously, Indiana Jones took no convincing. So whatever happens is whatever I'm going to see. Uh, anything DC related, um, except for Batman, which I just really don't like that character, and therefore, uh, you know, Catwoman. I, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, no, not so much. Um, but you know, if it's got Superman on it, I don't, I don't really care. I'm not. I don't care what the reviews are. I don't care what other people think. I'm going to go and see that. Um, but, well, yeah, I enjoyed the, Man of Steel. I enjoyed Man I, of Steel, even though it broke the, a lot of the rules. That's I why thought I it was it. good. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is fine if you understand what you're going to see. Actually, it didn't break the rules. What it did was emphasize a different existing, pre-existing uh, part of the mythos that is not usually stressed when you think of Superman and is certainly not the part that is stressed whatsoever by Smallville. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I was worried How about for you know, Man of Steel was... The bank canon, though? 
Well, it's a bit like, I think it's a bit like um, Chef with the, the Star Trek. He enjoyed it as a film, but he didn't consider it Star Trek. I mean, uh, I, uh, the point is I enjoyed Man of Steel so much. Uh, I'm not saying more than the others, but that um, I just went along with it. Um, I, thought, I thought they spent a long time on Krypton, but yeah. whether that was... My, my problem was I found the, the film so joyless. And I thought the whole bit with Pa Kent was just so ridiculous. The that wasteful sacrifice. And then I mean, spoiler alert, what what bothered me is not what the culmination of what he did with Zod, but the placement. If you're going to do that, you do it before all the horrendous killing and the whole scale slaughter. It it seemed like a mute point there by the end and there he i think he's going to be a great superman if he gets a chance to be the character and i think she'll be a wonderful lois i think it had some really good moments in it but it was just to me it was just too much whole scale just battle and a lot of character just thrown on the floor and i, I fell asleep during it and I don't think there has to be one type of Superman. And I know it was a lot of it was distilled from the John Byrne era, but it that had a lot of heart and in the interaction of of Luther and all of this. That this seemed to me like just you know. I also found it such a desolate thing on Krypton, having not Jor-El and Lara face the end of the planet separately that Jor-El already being dead, that is such a terrible, lonely thing because there's something so mythic in all aspects of Superman that those two face the end together, sending their child to Earth. But this way, it's Lara still living for a while, facing the end of the planet, and Jor-El's already killed. And and I, I found the 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 world, the matrix, as they called it um, uh, there, it's so reminiscent of uh, Star Trek II, you know, that, we, that we're recreating a world, you know, uh, utilizing the, um, the life that's already there, you know, um, recreating uh, Earth in the Krypton's image. Uh, it, well, uh yeah, I mean, before we go off on that again, perhaps we should at this point say there are other episodes of the Cult Dump Collective where you can hear a more thorough <laughs> of uh, that particular film. Uh, but I, I would just throw it back and, and say that there are some other little films that people have recommended to me that uh, are um, interesting, I think, and the fact that I love them. Um, African Queen would not have thought to have seen that particularly. Oh, great film. Um, and it's a great, great film. And um, the way we were, oh, my God, would I never have thought, oh, I must see a Barbra Streisand movie. Uh, but absolutely incredible film. Just really uh, gets into the heart of relationships and how, you know, also against the backdrop of America, you know, how – Different people, you know, you've basically, you've essentially got, you know, a Republican and a Democrat 
way left-wing Democrat and maybe even a way right-wing Republican coming together into a relationship and how that relationship works for a while and then doesn't work for a while. I mean, it's not just a great love story. I think it is also a an exploration of uh, political idea, ideals that were circling like hawks, like buzzards over, uh, you know, the uh, American landscape in the early 70s. And it's just, it's just a fabulous film really i think i think it's kind of the best film that either redford or uh barbara streisand ever did so that was one i was like that was one my my uh drama teacher in high school said look you've you've just got to watch this film just for the acting and it's like oh i don't know about that because it's barbara streisand can she act and i was like oh yeah she can act um <laughs> so just just fabulous fabulous if you film. give her the right part she can act yeah yeah, and the, at the same time, what was that other one that she made later than that with Nick Nolte? Um, it's based on a book. I forget what the name of it is. It was made, I don't know, in the, I'm not even sure, 90s or maybe late 80s. I'm not entirely sure. But there's a film she made with Nick Nolte based on some book, and it was just, you would have thought it would have been kind of the same thing, not nearly as good, or even A Star is Born, you know, that's, that is a great film in a way, but yet at the same hello? time. Oh, hello. What film? I heard static, so that's why I did oh. that. So. Oh, I thought, I thought, it, was, I thought yeah. it was the name of a film you were saying. <laughs> no, uh, but, you know, Star is Born, you would think, it, it, to me it's not, it is a great film. It did, you know, get great critical reviews and everything. But I, I still think that the best film she was ever in is The Way We Were. Um, with maybe Out of Africa coming next to that maybe um but yeah i mean just the weird thing is i I think that we all are influenced more than we'd like to believe whether you know it's personal recommendations that come across our plate or whether it's just that we are hinted in a certain direction by a movie review even though we might say you know no way did a movie review affect me um still you know prince of tides the Prince of Prince Tides. Yeah, I, that one I just don't like nearly as much. I mean, it's just it tries to be, I think, a latter day um, way we were, but it just it's not there. But I mean, I think it, it's interesting, you know, how common wisdom or even reviews tend to make us try a film when we might not be expecting to or whatever. Um, but I, I, you know, I really find that especially with older films, reviews are not nearly so reliable. For instance, Gone with the Wind is generally regarded as a stone-cold classic, the foundational document of American film in some ways, right? It's stupid. I'm sorry, but I just, I, I, I hate it. I mean, I actively do hate it. Um, and I, I know that there are tons of people who would recommend that. I know my brother is on a, lifelong campaign to get me to understand what it is about Gone with the Wind that is supposed to be so great. And I just think it is. It's not. The acting is, in my view, the acting is actively terrible. Um, And yet, you know, you get all these people, you know, the Oscar nominations that went out, the Oscar victories. How many times have you seen the movie, Um, How many times have I been forced to see that movie? Hmm. Three or four, at least. I mean, it's not like it hasn't gotten a fair crack of the whip. Um, but I just, 
Every time I just am like, this is just the torture. It is torture watching that film. And I think the main reason is because it is, it is well, I mean, I think the acting is pretty bad. Vivian Lee is, is uh, she just, I don't know, doesn't hit the right buttons for me. But the, the big thing is, of course, um, I, I'm sure that that film would never be great for me in a way because it's written from the wrong perspective. Right, it's written from the losing side of the war. So how could I possibly like it? You know, I don't think just, that's why it's great for a lot of people. Because the war does get a lot of coverage, and me being a Georgia boy, the war between the states is a very sensitive subject. I mean, it's not even the Civil War. If you use proper terminology, I mean, I must admit, I only think of it as being a spectacle film. Which, uh, I mean, on DVD, it's hardly worth seeing it. I mean, maybe on Blu-ray with a projector, it's worth watching. But yeah, I, I think I think it is. If you're not a part, if you're not sympathetic with the the South, essentially, I think that that film is highly problematic. I mean, it really, you know, she's acting like she is so, you know, poor and put out. And, oh, aren't the Northerners just horrible? And, you know, why? someday I'll, as God is my witness, I'll whatever, you know, this, I'll eat again, I'll live again, whatever the hell she says. Um, it, it's her fault. You know, her ruin is her fault. I mean, what do you expect when you have slaves, you know, one day somebody's going to come and smack you down because it's not right. So why should we have any sympathy for her position whatsoever, especially since basically she can't act? You know, I mean, it's just, uh, I, it's, it's, it's horrible. It really is kind of... Well, let me, let me, uh, uh, one, one film that, that, that leads on to that for me is uh, somebody who I wouldn't have thought I could act. And I haven't seen the film, so I don't know, but um, Opera Winfrey, is it the colour purple is it now didn't right. that's I, I haven't actually seen it but i think i should see it but it, i mean I, I i was surprised that she got all these uh plaudits for being oh, in that she's amazing in that right she plus she's working with you know a great director who is really trying to make a a new he's sort of redoing his brand at that point right so he is actively trying to um, show himself as a director who can work really well with actors, even though everybody in the industry knew that Spielberg could already work with actors. But I think it was not particularly well known at that particular time by the general public that Spielberg was a fabulous all-round director. I think that they, at that until Color Purple, I think that basically people lumped Spielberg with Lucas and thought, well, here's the basically, you know, kind of... Um, special effects sort of guy. But yet, that was only because they weren't paying attention to what was happening in Jaws and what was happening in um, um, in Close Encounters and how... No, I always considered Spielberg a better director. Oh, absolutely. But I think... I think I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, people who watch film closely or people who are even in the business. I'm talking about just your general audience. I think that at that point, up until Color Purple, I think that he was seen as more or less Lucas's partner, kind of, in crime. And that, a genre director. 
kind of a genre director, even though that's incredibly unfair. Um, but once Color Purple hit, you know, I think, and his actors started getting, you know, real attention by the Academy. After that, it was over. After that, it was very clear. Okay, there's there's Spielberg and there's Lucas, and that Spielberg is clearly the director who works with his cast better, if nothing else. Well, if I may, the the attitude was that Lucas and Spielberg were the men that took what formerly were thought of as B movies and done them as A list films, and then okay. with Color Purple, and then Schindler, etc., you had uh, Spielberg just making films that would be the equal to something like David Lean, like a Lawrence yeah, of Arabia, yeah, yeah. etc. Yeah, I agree. So with it that. changed yeah, yeah. the mindset from he's not the guy that does the films with sharks or the special effects films only he'll he can do anything he'll do a schindler's list he'll do a lincoln he'll right. do he'll do an amistad you know he'll do emperor empire of the sun he'll do he'll he'll go back and he'll do a raiders film but then he'll go and do uh something that would be like an academy award best picture t- a godfather type film yeah <laughs> Um, can, I, can I just uh, break in there for a minute because um, uh, some poor sap gave three hours of his life to this program, and that's uh, Ian. Yeah, because we actually did go and watch Avatar. Uh, I think it's about 100. And, although I think he had the director's cut. So, if you just want to all grab yourself a cup of coffee for a minute, uh, let me play. It's a clip that's about three and a half minutes that um, recorded of Ian. And put your thinking caps on if you want to mention any other films, because I've got a feeling the creative juices are now uh, running round the room. But um, here's Ian and myself talking last night. I hope the audio quality survives being re-encoded again. Should be okay for us listening live. Hope it survives those people listening to the recording later. Here we go. So, Ian, you accepted the challenge, your mission. Should you choose to accept it and destroy the tape afterwards? Uh-huh. Was to watch Avatar. I think it's supposed to be Fern Gully. <laughs> See, now I'm allowed to make those jokes with authority. It's all right. It wasn't. It wasn't horrible. It was pretty. It was nice to look at, but it was really, really long. Uh, Megan watched it with me, and that was the kind of the conclusion we had at the end. Is it really could have been condensed down. Now, were you watching the extended edition? Because the the uh, cinematic release was 162 minutes, and I think the extended one was nearly 108 minutes. I think I was watching the extended. For those who are not aware of this, of course, it came out five years ago now, in December 2009, and we just had uh, news announcements that um, they're extending the world of uh, Pandora for the next 20 years, because, of course, they've got the whole planet in digital domain. Uh, and they're going to have some more releases uh, under this umbrella. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I love the actual, uh, the, the, the flying uh, dragons or whatever you want to call them that they, uh, they picked out and chose. Uh, there was a, a lot of this sort of um, Gaia business, you know, Earth and wholeness, and uh, there was a little bit of this sort of uh, the learning tree things like that. So there's lots of homespun philosophy in it. Like I said, there was, there was nothing wrong with the story. It just it just went on for too long. And, and unfortunately, it does tend to be quite a predictable storyline. You know, the, the underdog guy 
who's not expected to succeed at whatever he's doing, ends up being the one person who can save everybody, ends up proving himself to the tribe, improving himself to himself, and wins the day. Yeah, I think the plot was, was thin on that basis. Yeah. But you could, you could actually put that argument against certainly the first Lord of the Rings film in one sense. You know, uh, they go on a long walk. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and the other thing that was a little bit silly was this unobtainium, uh, which was a rather silly stupid name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unobtainium, you're never going to get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but I liked it. But it was uh, it was simplistic, but it was lavish. Uh, I saw it in 3D, uh, and it looked absolutely superb in 3D. Uh, I think the most successful 3D film I've seen, maybe that and Tintin. Uh, uh, that worked in 3D, but uh, yeah. Like I say, every, everything was well acted, but it just, you know, it's just the story. And, and like I said, at the, at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I wanted my money back, you know, or my or the three hours or whatever it was back. I can now say that I've seen it, and now, like I said, I can, I can, I can rib it based on its storyline as much as I want because... You know, now I can, you know, now I've, I can say I've actually seen it. It was all right, you know. It was okay. Uh, you know, if, if, if we're talking about movies I was made to watch, I'm kind of glad that you made me watch it. Needed that motivation. Okay, we'll rejoin the uh, the, the uh, live show. Back to them. Okay, so uh, thanks for indulging us while uh, I played that clip. Um, uh was anybody else in the in the same boat as Ian with uh, Avatar? Or, uh, if not, we'll, we'll we'll resume where we left off. I loved it because the main guy was in a wheelchair and he was given a chance to have a functional body, and that was the reason why I loved it. And I can see everybody's points and it's predictable and blah, blah, blah. But the main hero was finally in a freaking wheelchair because 90% of the people you see in wheelchairs on the silver screen are the man, maniacal, evil. Xavier? X-Men? That's why I said 90%. Okay, right. I know. There's a small percentage that are good, but most of the people you see in wheelchairs are, or indeed mechanical devices of any description, are do tend to be bad guys. And finally, we get somebody that's altogether good. And yes, it is a cheesy little like but I hope they do something more with the property oh you've got 20 years of it to come we, we had that on news uh, last week there's a couple of films in production there's a ride at Disney I'm not sure if it's Disneyland or Disney World um, they've got the whole planet digitised so the you know it's uh, a, a big a big uh, thing that they want to, to maximise was it you, Ken, that was going to come in and speak then a moment as well? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Avatar very much. I, I think it's visually spectacular. 
I think his whole creation of uh, the planet is, is beautiful. It's a really good story, but I mean, it's a story that, I mean, that has been told from from uh, Dances with Wolves, Broken Arrow. It incorporates much of what's in John Carter of Mars originally. So I mean, he he, he has that in it. I, I mean, I'm I'm not going to fault him for that because it's it's the the foreigner who becomes the the hero of the indigenous people then rises up and 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 becomes a part of them and it's it's you know it's a very striking story it's you know he's an american indian in space um, and and i think he did an amazing job i'm i'm not so forward to looking through for countless sequels with main characters brought back i don't know if he's going to pull that off but it kind of segues into something else I didn't think Terminator was going to be all that great a movie when I saw it the first weekend. I thought it was just going to be, a, you know, an Arnold robot movie, or very brief that I'd heard about it. All the layers of depth and time travel, and and romantic qualities, and you know, can you change your fate, and and uh, the use of time, and you know, I didn't expect that would be that great. And then he matched it, and he almost, I would say, even uh, did something even better with Terminator 2 because he made um, the Sarah Connor character herself the villain in the second film, and that was totally surprising. So I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, Cameron always rolls the dice and always comes out the winner. I mean, that's, that's the amazing thing about him. I wanted to go back on something. I know it's not a debate on certain films or anything, but it's interesting about how you view films just in the perspective of film. Gone with the Wind has this, you know, great view as, you know, the great American film. Um, I'm a, a mixed mind with both. I I saw it as a kid, you know, very young, and I thought it was really neat and schmaltzy and epic. It's it's. It's brilliant of a kind, but it's also a very damning film because it's propagating the whole Magnolia myth and this, this whole attitude of of of, of the South uh, being injured by the North, etc. Um, Kobo as as a son of the South, and it, it there's a very kind of big attitude in Atlanta where it is filmed. How do you view the film? Gone with the Wind. Uh, I personally, um, I can get dark points, but if you know a little bit more about the history of the war between the states, I I couldn't hear you. What 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 go? Um, I get dark points, and Gone with the Wind doesn't really explore what the war was truly about. Because slavery was not the purpose of the war, the war between the states, and um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> oh my lord, you are from the south, aren't you? Um, it was about. Tax I, I think we should probably stop there, but we're getting into some. Yeah, really that's But but I I'm, I'm saying that the film viewed at what it is, a romantic fable. 
of knights and ladies and chivalry, the whole way the introduction goes to it. And I mean, I think that's what captures it. It's, it's a, it, it's a romance novel. I that's, would, I would fire back a question at all of you. What would you think of Song of the South? Oh, I love Song of the South, but that that's a totally different uh, kettle of fish. Song of the South is not during slavery days. He's not a slave. It's a misinterpreted film. Um, it's also the only person who has any attitude of caring and really has everything together is Uncle Remus in that film. You also you also see the black children and white children playing equally in that film. Have you seen Song of the South, Bubba? Yes, I have. Okay, okay. Because I, I think I think I think it gets negative flack. Unfortunately, it's a totally yeah. to me a different kettle of fish than than Gone with and the Wind. And I agree. I just wondered if everybody here knew that. No, I no, I, I love Song of the South. Uh, I just. I but, but I I think Gone with the Wind is a great film. Um I think it it propagates a lot of maybe terrible things in its way and I think I think that's an important film because it does get people talking. It should rile people up. You know, that's what art that's what art should do. I mean that's that's why when they show Birth of a Nation, I think it's a great thing. It's a horrendous film. I mean, not that it's a horrendously made film, but it, it it's horrible in the things it says. But I don't want things to be censored. I don't want Song of the South to be censored. But we're getting off on other tangents. I don't want to do that. But I appreciate how Darth feels about it too, because I grappled with it, and I have I have dear friends who who adore Gone with the Wind, and I would chuckle at them and go, Oh, oh the Magnolia myth again. So I, I would, you know, tease them on that. But as a piece of film making, I, I, I think it's really pretty brilliant. But it's, it's, yeah. There you go. I mean, this doesn't deal with the North and the South, but I mean, uh, if if you're talking about big American epics in that sense, I mean, the film I really enjoyed was How the West Was Won. Uh, oh, yeah. And I saw that on on the big screen where they used three projectors. You saw the same cinerama? Oh, nice. Oh, yes. yeah, 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 I saw that. And um, actually, I think it was a... Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it was, I'm trying to think what else I saw on that. Um, the uh, uh, um, Wandering Star one I saw on... Paint Your Wagon. Paint Your Wagon, I saw that. Uh, but my brother-in-law, his favourite Western... Um, although he's got a couple more since there. I think The Open Range is one of his new favourites. Um, but he loves the Kevin Costner Dances with Wolves. Yeah. Uh, even though some people think it, it went on too long. Um, and, and I'm sure there are lots of others. Um, There's the one of the about the Indi- um, the Native American Indian. What's that one called? And I can't remember the actor who played. Um, the last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans, no. Little Big little Man? Big, little Big Man, I think it was. Or Dustin it? Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Um, let, um, let me just move away from that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're better steering one away. Um, let me, uh, I did do a recording with Ian, but since I'm here myself, let me just uh, mention it. Um, uh, 
the, the film I saw was um, uh, The Princess Bride. So let me just play a little clip of that and then I'll just give you my thoughts on that. considering the rocky terrain? Naturally. You must expect me to attack with Kappa Fair. Naturally. But I find that Sybil can't survive Kappa Fair. Don't you? Unless the enemy has a study, he's a good part. Which I have. You are wonderful. Thank you. I've worked hard to come, sir. I admit it, you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not my pundit. Hmm. You're amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. Oh, there's something I ought to tell you. Tell me. I'm not left-handed either. that clip I think summed it up somewhat I mean we've got that sort of uh, funny music we've got a brilliant fencing scene but we've got what I, I would only describe as stilted uh, narration there uh, not narration um, you know the, the way they're talking to one another I mean when you find out that the lead woman is named Buttercup and uh, uh, the fine boy is Wesley uh, you're thinking you're going to watch basically um, um, just a, a children's story a fairy tale really uh, of course, it starts off rather unconventionally with uh, Peter Falk uh, uh, reading a son, uh, story to his uh, grandson. It, it somewhat seems to break the fourth wall, although it doesn't, when they keep cutting back to the story, you know, when he says, and he's dead. What do you mean he's dead? How can he kill the villain if he's dead? And uh, and then, well, he's not dead, and uh, so on. And uh, I was a good third through thinking, well, I don't know why this is such a highly rated film. It's quite enjoyable. It's a bit of an adventure. We've got this trio of baddies, you know, uh, the the clever guy. Um, what was it that uh, somebody put in the room? Uh, uh, inconceivable, that's it. Um, uh, and we've got the sort of uh, the giant strong man and this, the fencing guy. Uh, but then I started noticing pay, uh, faces popping up, you know, uh, guest stars, um I think the first one I noticed was Mel Smith and then Billy Crystal and uh, uh, Peter Cook. Uh, and I think, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't a small budget thing. This has actually got, you know, a cast of, you know, a real calibre in it, even in these minor roles. So I basically want you to tell me what I should make of it. I, I ended up enjoying it. I'm glad Ian suggested it. I'm not over-enthusiastic about it. And, of course, it was made in, uh, where was it made? In uh, 1987. So, it, you know, it, it, I, I honestly don't know what to make of it, really. But it was certainly a lot better than I expected it to be. And there were some nuggets in it. And um, it, because sometimes it was almost verging to Monty Python-esque thing. Um, uh, with the way that the the, the when they went through this forest, the way that um, 
the the main character Wesley who was at this point like uh, dressed like the pirate you know was being hit by little uh, flames from the the woods and then they they dive into this uh, sinking sand and so on uh, and the way he's climbing up the the rope uh, uh, chasing whether the the giants pulling him up the rope and things like that so maybe i can ask people in the room darth you've been quiet for some time uh, princess bride do you have a a thought on it comment on it does it deserve to be watched well obviously but i mean i mean the theme here for today is films that you were forced to see by somebody else and and you either liked or didn't like and wait wait I, I simply wasn't forced to see this film, so I don't have the same relationship to it as you do. Right. I went to it. I right. went to it willingly on the strength of Rob Reiner, who I have always really liked. You know. Well, is it? Is it? But I, th- I, think that, I think that was the. Yeah, but I think I think that was the first thing that I ever seen that he would, had directed. I think Rob Reiner was the, if I'm not mistaken, at least in the way that I watched films, he was the first person that I had known from being on a sitcom who had graduated to directing film, and I was just fascinated by that whole thing. Happy and days? I, Happy days? I, I hadn't There's seen somebody anything in that, by, Richie Cunningham, who turned out to be a director Dave, later in life. Dave, listen to what I'm saying, please. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm saying he was the first person I had seen do that. I'm not saying that uh, Ron Howard didn't do that. I'm saying... It, I'm pretty sure I saw Princess Bride before I saw any Ron Howard directed film. Even though I know that Ron Howard had probably probably directed before this, uh, I think that he had some kind of race film was his first thing, uh, some kind of car racing film or something or some, I don't know what exactly what it was, but for Roger I had Corman, yeah, 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 Roger Corman. There you go. But I had not seen that. Um, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I'd seen anything directed by somebody that I had watched as an actor on television. Uh, but, of course, you know, I was not at that point sophisticated enough to, uh, I guess, recognize that when I was watching MASH, I was probably watching something directed by Alan Alda. You know. Uh, but that's not yeah. a film. That's, 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 uh, I'm pretty sure the first Alan Alda film I saw was Probably four seasons, I guess, and I think that's after this, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. Yeah, but the, the, this particular chap, of course, Princess Bride, Stand by Me, which we mentioned earlier, and this is Spinal Tap. Uh, th- those were his films in the eighties. Hmm. Uh, then he oh, went I, on to direct uh, his own films. company. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, uh, sure, Castle sure. Rock Entertainment. When Harry met mm-hmm. Sally, Misery. And a few good men. And the American president. Ah, right. I'm sure uh, something else, too. Have a look. He's made cameos. Oh, that's cameos where... It mentions his film, but it doesn't say... Um, or say which is his director. I'll put the, um, the wiki link in the page, anyway. Uh, Ken, uh, any comments yeah, to make on this particular one? Well, I, again, it, I'm, I'm usually not forced to see films because I have such a wide interest in, in movies. But uh, what did you think of seeing Robin Wright? 
for you, Dave. I was wondering that. Um, uh, she she was the uh, the the, the lead, princess, uh, the princess. Like, that's, that's the she princess. was all right. I, 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 no, she she's uh, the co-star of. Uh, oh, of course, the cast yes. of cards. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection. I made it. as soon as you said it. I yeah, thought, well, no. I went waiting on that from you. Well done. I hadn't made that. No, I hadn't made that connection. Obviously. How she's and changed. How she's changed. And series two has just come out in Blu-ray in the UK. I'm going to get that next. Yeah. Um, I I think it's it's a delightful film. I'm 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 not worshipful of it. I I'm not sure exactly why. I mean, I really love Mandy Patinkin. Uh. As a, as an actor and a performer, I, I really like the cast. Um, love Peter Falk. Um, everything's funny, and I like quoting from the movie. It's just it doesn't blow blow me away. It's like it's a nice film. It, it's, it's a once a year film for me, really. Yeah, you know, it is pleasant, but it, it's not like, oh my God, I will kill for this, like this movie. Um, it's not that. It's, it's not that. And I mean, it's it, it it wouldn't be on my top ten poll, and or anything. But it's it's nice. I get what you're saying, kid, because there are movies that anytime they come on TV, I will drop whatever the heck I'm doing. Yeah, and I, I mean, watch there are it. there are movies that will be. Um, I'll, if if I can go on a couple. Um, Tombstone, which is a film that I thought was going to maybe be junk because it's directed by John P. Cosmatos, responsible for Rambo 2. Not the first one, but the second film. So I'm not looking forward to this movie, but hoping it's going to be good, uh, you know, about the Earps and Gunfighter of the OK Corral and Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp. And I love that film. I look on Tombstone as the Wrath of Khan of Westerns. It, it, the cast is so amazing. Uh, it, it's so vital. Dana Delaney is just such a wonderful uh, uh, female lead for that and romantic interest in that film. And she's just breathtaking and beautiful. And uh, that that is such a great movie. You can watch it. Another film, which I don't know if it's one that I might have just had an interest in, because I, I mean I do like his films and all of that. Do the right thing to me is just such a perfect film, and I I will watch that every time it's on. And it, and it's one that well I just you know I, I saw it in the theater, you know. Just kind of just some some interest, you know. I love anything that will have Aussie Davis in it, anyway. But I think that is just such a perfect film, and that just caught me alive, and I can just watch it constantly. And that was a movie that would just maybe just took me by surprise, and I I, I wouldn't have thought it would have been maybe just as amazing a film as it is. And I like other, I I like other films by Spike Lee, Malcolm X, and. And she's got to have it, and some of the others. And going back to um, quintessential Americana that I didn't see until late, Sandlot is right up there. 
fantastic film. Hmm. What was that? Something Lot? Sandlot. Never seen that. I've never seen that. Uh. Wonderful movie. James Earl Jones. I love it. No, I've never seen that. Thank you. Okay, uh, uh, and I've just remembered why, why it was that um, we first got on to The Princess Bride. It was when we were doing the FSX 250 issue, and uh, we noticed at, at number 12 of the, um, you know, the uh, the best, uh, the, the greatest moments in sci-fi was the fight scene from The Princess Bride, and it was Stephen Moffat who uh, had said, uh, when I'm depressed and stressed beyond hope, uh, I have a remedy. Uh, the cliff tops of insanity, most specifically the epic sword fight that takes place uh, between Indigo, is it Montoya, and the man in black, the Princess Bride. Uh, over the film, if it, uh, that is, if you haven't seen it, I'll sum it up for you in this way. See it. No, seriously, download it today. What are you still doing here? I've lost count of the number of times I've watched that movie. So that was where the actual... Um, Specific uh, thing came in for it. Okay, Ken. Ken was the same last thing. I will eat my shoe if you do not like this movie. I mean, okay, this All right. movie, this movie right up your street. It's no okay. Well, another James Earl Jones film. I'll have to uh, mention again. Them, Field of Dreams. Ah, yeah. It's such a wonderful movie. I think that's why he gets the part in Sandlot, because it's another, it's another baseball flick. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, look, we're at the, the two-hour mark here, and we're, we've we've called upon uh, just a few members to keep us going. So, what I would suggest we just go to the end game now. Uh, now. Ian, I think I must have recorded on a separate recording because I haven't got it here, but um, Ian wanted to put out a challenge to, to the people if we got this far, that um, and he's banging his old drum here, uh, go uh, and try and watch um, Howard the Duck. Um, he, he honestly stands by that film as a film that people, uh, you know, gloss over, mix, mix over it and don't talk about it and... Uh, he would like to challenge people to go and see that. Uh, if I was going to do one, well, very difficult to pick just to, well, very difficult to pick one. But before I mention the one I really want to uh, suggest, uh, if you haven't seen it, go and see um, Frequency, which is one of my uh, famous uh, uh, science fiction ones, a time travel one that I really enjoy. And uh, Dark City, that's another one that's oh. very offbeat. Uh, I would suggest that. But the the film I'm going to see, since uh, The Princess Bride has supposedly got one of the best sword fights, the one I have to suggest is a film called By the Sword with Eric Roberts and F. Murray Abraham in it. And um, oh, there's, the, there's the girl in it. I'll have to think of the girl's name in a moment. Uh, uh, see, see, um, hang on a minute, let me look it up. But that, uh, the only trouble with it is the DVD wasn't um, a proper widescreen um, production, so the picture quality on the UK version of the uh, the film is pretty awful. 
uh, Mia Sarah. So it's F. Murray Abraham, Eric Roberts, Mia Sarah. It's called By the Sword. Got some fantastic fencing in it uh, from 1991. She's from Legend. She's in Legend. Ah, right, yeah. But that, if, if, if I'm part of the game because we are at the two hour mark but um, Kobo's recommended one I've recommended one uh, Ian has recommended one by proxy so I'll go to you Ken and then I'll ask Darth if he wants to recommend uh, maybe an offbeat film that we wouldn't seek out maybe but on your recommendation we might okay um, this is a very different kind of horror film but uh, so brilliantly acted and so well made. Um, it's called The Mist. It's written by Stephen King, and I really recommend that. Um, you took the other one away from me, I would have recommended Dark City, which is such a brilliant film. But I, I recommend, recommend The Mist. I thought you were going to recommend uh, The House of Sand and Fog there for a minute. Um that's, that's, quite, that's almost too depressing. Um, <laughs> depressing ending, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. A great film, but a very depressing ending. Yeah. yeah. The, mist, the Mist is hard to take, but it, it, it's such a rewarding film and, and such an amazing cast in it. Um, Thomas Jane and... Um, God, I'm forgetting a lot of the actors. A lot of people who were in uh, The Walking Dead... Um, same same director as uh, as uh, directed Shawshank and Green Mile. Right. Yeah, did this, and I, I really recommend that. Okay, uh, let me ask those people in text if they want to put one in. Mike, Cybob, uh, and our other guests. Uh, Darth, do you want to make a recommendation of a, a film that um, people might not see unless encouraged? Um, I'm tempted to say almost any Bollywood film because most Westerners haven't really seen any of that and I think they'd be really uh, oh so that what's that one that, what's that one about the Holiday Inn the, not the Holiday Inn that's what I'm talking about um, where where the, that great cast are staying at the hotel in India they're making a second movie of well that's not a that's not really a Bollywood film. It's not, it's not a Bollywood film, right? It's a crossover no. film, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's not even a crossover film. It's just a just a regular British film that happens to be filmed in India. Right. I mean, it's like it's like Passage to India. That's not that's a Western film. It's not a Bollywood film. Right. Um, but you know, just about any Bollywood film will probably do you in terms of introducing you to the topic, but. Um, Dara, I, 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 I'd recommend on that Lagan. Yeah, I mean that's a good a mixture, one. It's a mixture of sport film and musical, and and it has kind of and has some British actors into it, so it, the accessibility might be nice. Uh, it might be. Um, Three Idiots kind of is a good one to work with too. Um, because it's sort of comedy, 
Um, and so, so it's kind of, it's almost taken the piss out of itself, out of the whole genre itself. Um, but uh, the con's not, it's not bad. I, I, I mean, I'd even almost say if you're really interested in film, that you would go back and find a nice historically important film. So something like Awara, maybe from 51, mm-hmm. but you know, it's black and white. And so that might put off some people. Um, a a kind of cool one is um, just because of its liberating nature. Let's put it that way is it's kind of what we would consider in the English speaking world, kind of offensive these days. I mean, it's the film Cooley. Um, from the early 80s, but it is, it's really a great film because it investigates what the origin of that word actually is and and makes something of, um, you know, just really, it informs, it works on two levels. It's a great Bollywood film, full full stop, but it actually has some, some great meaning behind it as well. Um, and it's pretty widely available. It uses, you know, really the top performers that are in. Um, uh, what I, I mean, really, in the last whatever forty years of of Indian, fifty years maybe of Indian film, it uses some of the very top performers. Uh, and, it, and in a sense, it's it's a it's a good litmus test because if you can watch that and you can enjoy that, then probably you can enjoy just about anything coming out of Bombay. Um, but definitely that sort of thing I'd recommend. And then I'd recommend something that is the reverse of that in a way. Um, and I talk about this all the time whenever I get a chance because it's basically my favorite film. And that's Mississippi Masala, which is, um, you know, one of the greatest uh, Indian directors of the last, whatever, 20, 30 years coming to make a more or less Western film. So uh, it's a Hollywood film made by a Bollywood director, Denzel Washington. Um, just one of his best performances ever. It's a great film about uh, America as well. It's, 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 I mean, masala means mixture, and it really is one of those films that actually is just a mixture of different um, cultures, and it's it's a worthy film to go see if you if you liked. Um, I keep wanting to say Salam Bombay, but of course, if you like Salam Bombay, you'd love it. But um, the uh, the I just lost my Slumdog Millionaire. If you like Slumdog Millionaire, uh, there's absolutely no doubt that you would like Mississippi Masala. Or if you're just a general Denzel Washington fan and you're looking for something that is um, not that it's a romance that he's in, that's not a um, you know big budget action film, uh, and that really shows his acting chops, I, I think you would love that. Um, just want to comment on the. On the Cooley, there, there seems to be three or four films. That one's from 1983, uh, the Bollywood action that's comedy, the and then all oh, right, and then there's yeah, right, okay, yeah, there are, but that's probably the one that is most accessible to people. I would have thought. Okay. I mean, by, by people, I mean people in America and or Britain. Actually, Britain has much greater access to Bollywood, really, than yeah, yeah, we do country. because you know that natural historical ties and stuff, but. Um, in in most big cities in America, you should have absolutely no problem uh, finding 
some way to watch it. And actually, Apple's done a good job lately of of integrating more Bollywood content onto iTunes. So it's not it's not super hard to find that. Okay. Um. Nobody in Texas put anything, but um. Uh, I'll I'll tempt Mike to put the name in by suggesting he'd probably suggest Battle Royale. Uh, uh, that's a very seems to be a very vicious film, but it's um it, it's um I suppose it's a what's the word? Uh, uh, oh, I forget it. It's a political statement in a way. But uh, uh, Battle Royale, very very gory film. But it's excellent. Where these and it also uh, inspired Hunger Games. Did it? It inspired it, did it? Oh, well, I can see yeah. that. But uh, yeah. Okay, well, Cy Bob and the other guys, um, we're wrapping up now, so you have to be very quick if you want to put something in text. We haven't... Um, uh, thank you, Ian. I'm sorry, Ian, if you're listening later that um, I haven't played all the, uh, the the stuff we recorded, but we've had a, a good... Uh, we, we made an agreement, Ian and myself, that if uh, the conversation flowed uh, as it has done today, we'd just keep his contributions to a minimum. Um, but... Um, there we go. We haven't christened next week's topic, but uh, we will do. And um, hopefully that Mike will will have our board meeting on Friday night, 72402, sometimes called Friday Night Trivia. Uh, but we like to call it, you know, our quorum night for the Colton Collective. Um, and we'll be back to do this. So I'm not seeing anything in text. So uh, thank you to everybody listening in. Uh, Rick Wall dropped off earlier. That's why I haven't referred to him in this last section. But uh, thank you to Ken Cobot and Darth. Thank you to thank Ian his audio things. Thank you. And I'll play us out. Bye, everyone. Be back next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.